Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today is a part two of six radical invitations from God for our politicized, polarized world. Now, what we do and how we function in these days may seem insignificant. Uh, it's only a mustard seed, especially in light of the you know, massive headlines and the global issues at play with the United States elections and all the fear and anxiety and anger that's running so high. But Jesus says that mustard seed is not small and insignificant. It's actually incredibly significant for what God's doing in the world. And so how we respond to God in these days is incredibly important. Now, last week, I started out by sharing a few things about my approach, uh, and that is that we've got to wrestle with the yeast that may be tainting our perspective. And I just noted that Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. And uh, these were other teachings going around spiritually around his days, around the Jewish believers. Uh, and uh, the question there is, what yeast do we need to reject that's floating around the church today? And uh, that's one of the themes I'm seeking to uh, to explore here in these uh, podcasts. And the second is that one of the church's main trials in every generation is which savior will we choose? And uh, it's very tempting to choose uh, a savior that is not the crucified, slow, patient lover of enemies, savior Jesus uh, on the cross, but rather to go the way of Barnabas, who was a brave nationalist and unafraid to use force in the realist. And it's a great passage there in Matthew 27. But history tells us that God's people have often chosen violent solutions and violent leaders against our pagan culture uh, to advance God's agenda and rather than Jesus' weak, uh, crucified way. And so I, so these things are informing my approach. And, and also, there's one other thing that's informing my approach here of of you know, how do we respond in this polarized, politicized days? And and that is a, a professor I had at seminary, Dr. Gordon Fee was his name, took multiple courses with him. And he, he was an Assemblies of God Pentecostal with a great fire for Jesus. At the same time, he was a scholar, and actually he was a he was a second um, most highest scholar in textual criticism in the world in terms of the original manuscripts of the of the New Testament. And uh, he gave me a great love for scripture and, and the importance of study. And I remember him saying uh, often in classes, uh, don't put words in God's mouth. Make sure you study. If you don't want to study, don't speak, don't preach, don't teach. Uh, because we come with a reverence to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and the God of, of scripture. And therefore, we want to come to it you know, reverently and humbly and seeking to really discern what is it that God is saying. So uh, again, as I'm exploring these, really this challenging topic, uh, I want to invite you to send me questions or comments or any kind of feedback uh, to ask Pete at emotionallyhealthy.org. It's very helpful for me, especially around this topic of um, politics and how do we work out our faith in these days. So uh, I've, I've got this down to six radical invitations uh, for us. Uh, last week, I began with number one, surrender everything. Number two, embrace your limits. Number three, master the way of contentment. Number four, remain faithful regardless of the outcome. Five, choose to love your enemies. And six, refuse to belittle other perspectives. So again, last week in part one, I talked about surrendering everything, that we don't control the future. The Lord Almighty does. Lord God Almighty has it. 
Kingdoms come and go. Nations come and go. We love our country. We pray for it. We work for the shalom and the flourishing of our country. But even our country, whatever you are right now listening, uh, whatever country you may be from, your country too will pass away. And uh, uh, as John says in Revelations 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And therefore, in, in a sense, we, we, we live surrendered lives uh, to our Lord, and we don't cling or resist to anything earthly, uh, and uh, we follow Jesus, and we trust Jesus, and we surrender everything. And yet we're filled with tremendous hope, because we know, as it says in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his uh, Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It is a certainty uh you know, the Lord God Almighty will fill the heavens and the earth with his glory. At the same time, last week we talked about humility and uh, the need to embrace our limits, which really is about humility. And uh, like a thousand years is like a day to God. And, uh, you know, we don't ever want to be defensive or arrogant or pontificating or proud. Uh, because if we are, even if we're right, we're wrong. And so we come to every conversation with great humility. We come to this conversation of politics and what's God doing with, with embracing our limits and our limits of our perspective. And so I, I, I pray texts like this one in Psalm 33 often because it, it's a, it just grounds me. And, and David writes, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for we trust in his holy name. And may your unfailing love be with us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And just as my limits as a creature and humility of surrendering to him. But today, let's go into the third radical invitation, which is master the way of contentment. Master the way of contentment. Now, Paul, the apostle, wrote in Philippians 4 that I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is, he says, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And he writes, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But what's so amazing is Paul is talking about this this contentment because he was consistently and regularly in, in, in such turmoil and, and trouble all the time. And so he writes things like, like you know, I, in Corinthians, I've been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. I've been beaten with rods and pelted with stones and three times I was shipwrecked. And then I've been in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the country, in the city, in danger from false believers. And he writes about it. I've been hungry and thirsty and cold and naked, and I faced the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And and here, he, and the question is, how can he be so content in the midst of all that? And and then actually, he writes uh, in First Corinthians: To this hour, we are brutally treated, and we are homeless. We are cursed, and we bless. I mean, I love that. When we are cursed, we bless. I mean. Oh Lord, and he is—he has mastered the secret called—he calls it the secret of, of contentment. Now, this word contentment that he talks about is is actually a word from pagan philosophy, from Stoicism and cynicism. Um, and these are, but uh, it refers to a person who is free uh, from external circumstances, free from worry, free from people, free from things. Uh, and Paul says, I've learned this contentment and, and independence 
from the world going on around me. But for Paul, I learned it through dependence in, on Jesus. And so he takes that pagan word and then he he reworks it and, and, and gives it kind of a, a whole new meaning in Jesus. And and because uh, Paul's not like the pagans uh, who are basically in their stoicism and their, their quote, contentment was really defiant and proud and uh, came out from, from their own uh, def- uh, self-discipline internally. But Paul says, no, no, I've gotten here a whole different way. I have power to face all situations in union with the one who continually infuses me with strength. That's the, the famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it's referring to learning contentment, regardless of what's happening around me. And Paul says, I, I, I've learned it. I've mastered it. And in these days, it is critical that we master contentment, regardless of who wins the election, which direction the country goes in, but that we are doing what Paul's doing. Now, how did he get there? That's the question. How do we get there? Well, Paul gives us the, the secret that he learned how he got there, which is, he says, I did it through loving union with Jesus. I can do all things in union with the one. That's literally what it says in, in, in Greek, in union with the one, Jesus, who continually infuses me with strength. He's imparting strength to me. So it's that great word used so often in the Middle Ages, loving union with Jesus. And Paul says, I can cope with anything, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm abundant, whether you know I'm free out of this abiding in Jesus, I can face anything. So just imagine with me for a moment, you know, you lose all your security and your plans go, you know, nowhere, your, your comfort, and I mean, you, the church gets upended. Uh, you're mocked. I mean, who knows what the future holds? But try to imagine getting to a place in Jesus where there's just a calm, still water within uh, and you're just overflowing with contentment. And it's actually the story of Job because the story of Job is the story of us all. Job loses everything, health, his family, his relationships, his title, his job, his achievements, his reputation. And uh, he is the story of us all. He lets go of everything. And we will let go of everything uh, the moment we die. And so that's why this is such a core discipleship issue, the master contentment. Um, and Paul gives us an insight on how to do this. So so ha- this loving union with Jesus, I mean, there, there's two aspects of it. One is, is Paul writes it in a few verses before this. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And it's beautiful text, right? He goes, so the first secret is, is, is to pray with thanksgiving. So I, I know for me, I have felt a lot of anxiety in these days. And uh, I've got to limit my news intake, uh, whether from social media or, you know, news reports. Uh, and, and so what has served me, has served me well and continues to serve me, and I, uh, I, I try to do it each day, is, is praying for President Trump, Vice President Pence, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, the Supreme Court, Congress, uh, the mayor, governor, and just offering them to Jesus, uh, praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in their lives. Uh, And and then to give thanks, Paul says, uh, offer prayer and petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving. And I love that thanksgiving. And I, I, you know, I got in my journal here, I just uh, especially in these days, I'm making a long list of so much to give thanks for. Uh, everything from the people in my life to from health to the gift of, of living in a country with a, 
functioning government uh, and a democracy. And uh, so, so my first work each day is to lead myself. I am the most difficult person to lead. You are the most difficult person to lead, leading yourself. Uh, and then there's a second uh, key uh, for, uh, you know, for us to live in loving union with Jesus. So it's clearly this, I, I need silence, I need prayer, but I also need scripture. I, I need to engage scripture, especially in these days, not just intellectually, but letting it into my gut and, and bloodstream. And, uh, you know, in, three times in, in scripture, we, we see this image of uh, prophets eating scripture. We see it in Jeremiah eating uh, the word. We see it in Ezekiel. And we see the same image in John the Apostle, the pastor in the book of Revelation. Uh, and uh, scriptures are, you know, the scripture is, it, this, the Bible is unlike any other book. It, it, it's a sacrament in that it it reveals Jesus. It Jesus is present in in, 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 in the scripture. We, we meet the living Jesus in these pages of scripture. It is unlike any other book. And I, I love the, you know, the John, the, the writer, the apostle, the pastor, who's writing to these seven churches in Asia Minor, the whole book of Revelation, and, and speaks about him eating this book, much like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, the book of Revelation has 404 verses, but it has 518 references to the Old Testament. In terms of events and different scriptures and and what that means to eat, eat the book to let scripture go into us is that we allow scripture into our gut into our bloodstream we chew on its words we swallow them uh, so we, we, we as we approach the topic that we're even talking about today we're not just reading the bible intellectually but letting it go into our bloodstream and gut so i've been actually meditating and taking it to my gut in these days the book of Philippians, and in particular, chapter four, uh, carrying it around with me, meditating on it, writing in my, on my to-do list some of, the, some of the verses, and just reviewing it multiple times during the day, because I want to be, I want to, like Paul, I want to uh, differentiate. This really, this is the way intersection of differentiation, which we talk a lot about emotional health, and a contemplative spirituality intersect, because we are called to be a third race of people, a third culture. In the early church, they referred to Christians. We're not Greeks. We're not Jews. These Christians are like a third race. They're, they're unlike anything ever existed before. Uh, and, and so we too are to, to master this secret of contentment by being immersed as a, you know, coming to God with our anxieties and fears and angers and just staying with them until they dissipate and holding them before the Lord, praying and then with thanksgiving. But our greatest gift is to differentiate ourselves from the culture and the world around us. That is remaining connected to the world we're in it, but yet not having our reaction or behavior determined by it. And that's why our task, like Jesus, our, our number one task, especially as leaders, is to calmly differentiate our true self in Jesus from all the demands and voices and turmoil going on around us. And uh, so we have a solid foundation, a self of, of boundaries between us and the world around us. And, and, and actually, I, I, I'm convinced so much of the polarization we, we're experiencing inside the church right now is a, is a reflection of the shallowness of the discipleship that's going on uh, in our churches. So that's why I think in some ways these days are a gift because they're revealing how in the Western church, in particular the American church, uh, We've allowed so much of the world in our discipleship, and 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 now it's so uh, it's so evident 
that there's a there's an openness for for change, and that's why I want to be inviting you to that which we've given our whole life to, which is to to bring the church into a discipleship that deeply changes lives, that deeply transforms, that's serious. Out of which, of course, leadership development comes out of that too. And um, and and so I want to invite you if you've got the space to uh, look at the emotionally healthy. A discipleship course, which includes the spirituality course and the emotionally healthy relationships course. And we offer a whole a training on how do you actually engage this? And it's free. And we make it free because of our deep conviction of uh, the moment we're living in in history and the importance of this for the future of the mission of the church in the world. So you might want to check that out at emotionallyhealthy.org and check out that free training. How would I actually engage the emotionally healthy discipleship course? Or maybe on a more uh, a, a minimal level, uh, let me invite you to maybe download a daily office. Uh, one daily office that we produce that you can actually run off or put into your phone and begin to practice silence and stillness before God and begin to pray scripture, especially praying the Psalms. And uh, so it's one I've written years ago. It's called, it's at emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. And it's got a morning, midday, and evening prayer. It's been used by people around the world. And again, you can print it out or download it into your phone, but it'll get you into scripture, get you into a place of prayer and silence before the Lord, out of which everything else can flow. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. I love what Ben Franklin said years ago. Now, again, he wasn't a believer, but he, he spoke this truth and it was true. He goes, contentment makes the poor rich, but discontentment makes the rich poor. Say it again. Contentment makes the poor rich, but discontentment makes the rich poor. So six radical invitations. Let me move now to our fourth. So we talked about surrendering, embracing limits, mastering the way of contentment. And then our fourth one is remain faithful regardless of the outcome. Remain faithful regardless of the outcome. Now, what I mean by that is uh, our, our values are informed by by scripture, by revelation. And, and as Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. That's Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, heaven. now, Paul was writing to Philippi that. Philippi was a city, but it's also a Roman colony. And so, in other words, its citizens were citizens of Rome with all the rights and privileges as if they lived in Rome itself, although they were in Macedonia. But the expectation was that though they were living in Philippi, they would spread Rome's way of doing things, Rome's customs, Rome's culture. And so Paul says, in the same way, we are citizens of heaven. Uh, and of course, Christ rules over the world, but we are bringing Jesus's life and values and culture and customs and kingdom to the world around us. We don't get our meaning from and values in the world. We're bringing Jesus' values and kingdom to the world. And that's why the local church is a colony of heaven. Every local church is so important in the world. So listen, if you're you're involved in your church and, and leadership and pastoring and whatever your role might be, you are you are doing, it may seem like a mustard seed, but what you're doing is incredibly important. There, there, is, there, are, there is nothing more important in the whole earth than, than, than the church of Jesus Christ being salt and light. And I love this phrase, as Paul says, a colony of heaven itself. And so the early Christians, you know, the early church, they, they understood this. Now, they're, they're living not in a democracy. They're living under the Roman Empire. Uh, but they insisted on certain things because they realized they were, they were a colony of heaven. They would say, Caesar is not God. There's only one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there's only one way to God, through Jesus. And uh, 
and they, they insisted. They did pay their taxes, and they would pray for the government. They prayed for the emperor. Uh, they avoided public entertainment that gloried in violence, like the games. They, they opposed abortion and infanticide, the killing of unwanted babies. They would rescue them. They actively supported programs for the poor and those on the margin, lepers and women. Uh, and they knew that Jesus treated everyone, all people, with dignity and respect and compassion. So they did that. Whether you were a centurion, an occupying force from Rome, or you were a tax collector who served with the occupying government, uh, they, they, were, they just had a whole separate sense of identity as citizens of heaven. You know, I, I went back and researched uh, this past week the story of John Woolman and the Quakers, uh, and the, the friends, they're called, the Quakers, who in, in 1758, this is before the American Revolution, before America ever became a country, they removed slavery from their midst. Now, understand, slavery was all over the 13 colonies. Jefferson, Washington, Patrick Henry, they didn't get rid of their slaves, but the Quakers did. In fact, they asked anyone who was a Quaker, you could not have a slave. And they asked every member to reimburse their slaves for their times in bondage. Imagine, pay them, because they were a colony of heaven. It's a great story. You might want to look at you know Richard Foster's Streams of Living Water. He talks about the story of John Woolman and the Quakers. But to me, it's a beautiful image they understood themselves as a colony of heaven. So that's why we can never be fully, we can never be compartmentalized into a two-party platform, Republican or Democrat. God's not a Republican. God's not a Democrat. Uh, he's not anointed a candidate. And it's much like the book of Joshua, chapter 5, 13, when Joshua arrives at, at, the, uh, at the gates of Jericho, and he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And, and Joshua says to the man, are you for us or for our enemies? And it's an angel of the Lord. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua falls face down. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. I'm telling you, we, we, you know, the, the Lord God of the Almighty is here. But uh, you know, all through church history, whenever the church has become tied to a political party or synonymous with any government, it has always been a disaster. I'll say it again, always been a disaster. We're called prophetic. Just look at when Constantine made the Roman Empire Christian, when Augustine used the power of the state to defeat heresy. Think of the Inquisitions, the Crusades, the, the wars of the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation, executing heretics. The list just goes on. So that's why on some issues we can appear conservative, on other issues we appear liberal. I remember being in the Philippines uh, very early on, early 1980s, when Marcos, the dictator, was in power. And I was a young Christian, but I was working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And the country was in turmoil. There was Christians uh, protesting his dictatorship. Many people were dying. Uh, and then there was also Christians that were working for the police force and the military. They were on both sides of the protests. And uh, I remember sitting in, meet in meetings and uh, the, the president of Navarsi was, was giving these lectures, and, and he talked about how if the government is far right, we can appear like we're leftists. If the government is far left, we can appear like we're rightists. And he goes, we're, we stand with God, and we stand with Scripture, and we never move from that. And it was just fascinating. So we may differ on how to implement certain um, values in terms of policy, but in terms of biblical convictions, we're faithful regardless of how it may look or regardless of outcome. So, for example, there are issues like immigration. It, uh, it's legitimate for Christians to disagree on immigration policy and specifics of that. But we never 
demonize immigrants or treat them as subhuman or deprive them of human rights. Why? Because scripture has over and over again talks about the call to love refugees and foreigners and things like in Leviticus 19, love the foreigner resides among you must be treated as a native born. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt. You know, Deuteronomy, you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt, that we were outcasts. We were uh, we were refugees, and God brought us in through the blood of Jesus. And so right now, there are more people who are refugees in the world and displaced uh, than ever before since recorded history. It's, it's, I mean, I could go through the list from 1.4 million who have uh, fled into Europe on boats trying to get into Greece or Italy or Spain or Sweden, uh, the 3 million Iraqis who have been displaced since 2014, and the 4.3 million people in South Sudan who've had to flee from that, you know, have been displaced in that war. The Rohingya, the Muslim minority in Myanmar, there's been 711,000 that have had to go into Bangladesh and who are, you know, stateless. The Ukraine, that war there near Russia, Yemen. I mean, the list goes on. Central America, which is right outside our gates here, and, and uh, the number of people fleeing for their lives from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras has grown by 10 times in the last five years. I mean, that's, I mean, the list goes on. And so, but we, we care about refugees and God's concern. How to do it, I, I can't speak to the policy, but God's heart is clear. Secondly, we care for the whole world, not just our own comfort, our own country. God loves the world. And so even in the midst of COVID-19, we're concerned about the vaccine, not simply for our country, but for the whole world and the economic impact of COVID-19, not just in our country, but in developing countries. And it's been said that places like in developing countries, uh, like sub-Saharan parts of, the, of Africa, it'll take 10 years to recover. And remembering that we're, we come from the richest country in the world, and those of you listening, the West, the wealthy part of the world, and, and that we care for the world. We love the world because God does. And we have a special love, of course, for the poor. Uh, Matthew 25. Now, how to love the poor in policy? Do we shrink the government? Do we let private capital markets you know, allocate resources? Do we shrink the government? Do we do we expand the government? Now, there's differences of opinion, but the point is we care for the poor. Same thing with treatment of women against sexism, or we stand against racial injustice in all of its forms. It's who we are, because God loves people. We protect the unborn, because uh, God cares for those uh, fetuses who cannot speak for themselves. We care about the environment and creation care. Why? Because God's given us stewardship of the earth, and it's his earth, not our own. We pray for those in authority over us. You know, you know Scripture is very clear on that. So whether it's a Nero or Caligula, whether you may not like that person or not, uh, we, we do it. We, we pray for those in authority over it um, because God calls us to do so. And we affirm a, a, a high sacramental view of, of sexuality given by God as a gift within the covenant of marriage. And because it speaks of and, and, and gives us a taste of our the eternal longing of, of oneness that we have for God and God has for us. And nothing like it even touches it. In fact, we, we pray and we seek the peace and prosperity of our cities. We, we, we want to remain faithful in the little things serving, loving, praying, doing what God asks us to do today. And we're filled with vision and hope and a dream for the world. And we steward our talents towards that purpose. It, 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 you know, I spoke recently with Mako Fujimori. And some of you may know him. He's a contemporary artist. And uh, we spoke last week just about the, again, this whole being our 
polarized, politicized world we're living in and a deep divisions existing in the church. And, and, and he talked about art. He's an artist. You know, we need artists. You know, the church leading the way in beauty and the arts, pointing people to the abundance of God in the midst of all this fear and anxiety and everything from, he was talking about planting a garden to cooking, to having fun together, to, to playing. These things are more important than ever before. Our churches, our communities. And I go back to, you know, Jeremiah 29, as they were living in Babylon, God said to his people, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel to those who've been carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, seek the peace and prosperity of the city that I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so we do need to create and shape, that is use our talents and gifts to cut a path through a virgin forest. That is do the small little mustard seed things that are right before us. I'm talking about loving your neighbor, uh, you know, building your church, fun- serving in community, you know, reaching out to the person in front of you, uh, whatever your talents may be and gifts, just being faithful. For me, it's doing this podcast, it's it's writing, it's building emotionally healthy discipleship. And I had a great time in our church yesterday, but we affirm the mustard seed of the kingdom of God and, and how profound that is, that, that what we do may appear insignificant. It may, we may seem powerless. It may seem like it's imperceptible what we're doing. It may look like we're defeated and we didn't sign up for this. And, and, and the world says be you know big and powerful and sensational and you know with these huge headlines and screaming at us at the catastrophes around us. But do you understand that Jesus said, no, have no fear. The mustard seed is going to grow into a loaf that's going to feed the whole world and uh, relax relax, uh, be faithful regardless of the outcome uh, to the Lord because he is building his church. Next week, we'll talk about the final two invitations about choosing to love our enemies and refusing to belittle other perspectives, two incredibly important points. So thank you so much. It's been so good to be with you. And I uh, I want to just plead with you, stay grounded in Jesus. Send your comments to me at askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. And again, check out our our, our free resource of, of this podcast, The Daily Office, that you can download, a morning, midday, and evening office at emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. And may God ground you in him in these days. And may the Lord fill you with peace. May you surrender to him uh, by his grace. May he give you the power to embrace the little and may you be filled with his contentment for the glory of Jesus. God bless you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you today. Blessings. Blessings.